You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We've got a great show for you today. Of course, it's all about tech, which we love. Later on, we're going to be talking about cookies. Some people are probably familiar with cookies. These are these little uh, bits of code in our web browsers that track our every move so that the big guys like the Googles and Facebooks can serve us personalized ads. you got to love them or hate them. Well, now there's some super cookies now called favicons and we're going to tell you about them and it's important that you listen to this segment coming up in a bit because these ones you potentially can't delete or block Uh, we will also be talking about uh, exercise tech Uh, we've got a really cool uh, local company here called uh, tut fitness group they've got some really cool exercise machines that uh, are highly portable a rowing machine and uh, what it's an attention band uh, machine as well john Resistance band. Resistance. Yeah. That's how much I exercise, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they've got a great uh, app uh, that uh, they'll have coming out uh, as well that has hundreds of uh, videos you can use to follow, uh, follow along. So I know a lot of us are concerned about our overall health right now in the lockdown. Uh, gyms are closed. So uh, this is uh, another great uh, segment to uh, check in on. And uh, we will also uh, be chatting uh, with the MasterCard folks about the latest in payment technology. John, let's uh, check in on the news uh, now. This was uh, an interesting one. We've uh, seen a few companies or or app developers upset with the big guys, especially Apple, because they they feel that Apple has a monopoly on their ecosystem because they control the app store. There are no other app stores for Apple. And so uh, we've seen uh, Epic. They're a uh, large video game company uh, with a very popular game, one of the most popular in the world, Fortnite. They have challenged Apple in court now to try to break that monopoly. Most analysts are saying it's not going to happen. But now there's another challenger, North Dakota. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry I'm laughing, but uh, this is is going to be interesting to follow. There's a new North Dakota bill that would force Apple to have other alternative app stores and payment systems as well. You know... (sighs) On the one hand, I kind of agree that Apple should open things up a little bit more. And we've actually seen them do that over the last couple of years. There was a time when you couldn't actually make anything other than Safari your default browser or Apple Maps your default navigation system on your phone. And now you can change those things. So, you know, why can't you have alternate payment options? You can have different kinds of credit cards. We don't, we don't all have to have Apple cards uh, as our payment options. Um, but also the app store, I think the problem with the app store or alternate app stores in the Apple universe is that the way the Apple system is structured is that every app is sort of its own little Island. It's secure. It's encrypted. It can't, talk to or peek into other islands of silo data, right? So, and if if this alternate app store comes along, there's no guarantee that those apps are going to behave the same way because they're not going to be vetted by Apple, uh, presumably. We've talked about it before on the Google side on Android. Google does have, you know, their main Google Play Store and there are alternative app stores. So yeah. they don't have like the default monopoly on that. You know, Amazon, they've got their own uh, brand of Android and they've got their own store. There are other app stores in the Android universe. But I guess it just comes down to Apple's, uh, you know, I guess unique selling proposition is that they try to make their worlds uh, complete, their ecosystem and safe. They're really hell bent on security and privacy, which I appreciate. 
I, I really mm-hmm. do. And just the simplicity of it. I just wonder if you start allowing other app stores into the Apple ecosystem and universe, that that would just kind of play havoc with that, don't you think? Right. Absolutely. And th- this is a problem that Google encounters all the time where these alternate app stores, they have Fortnite, you know, on multiple stores, for example, that aren't really Fortnite. Yes. Or it's it's a version of Fortnite that's been altered with malware or something else, right? There's no verification of that. This is truly coming from whoever created the application in the first place. Um, I mean, that's kind of the edge case, worst case scenario with these alternate app stores. And we've certainly seen like with Huawei, they had to sort of do some workarounds and have all these alternate things. But, you know, I think people have a problem installing an app from an unknown uh, app store that maybe has like Russian in the name or something like that. Like you just want to make sure that you know where the source is, who's behind this thing. And that's what Apple's always tried to do. Google has gotten a much better with the Play Store on this side, but there's still so many of these alternate app stores on the on Android side that I honestly wouldn't trust them unless I was specifically comfortable with a particular developer and could tell that that was a verified app from that developer on that app store. Well, we'll see if North Dakota can give it a go in court. Uh, another news story. This is concerning as well, John. A border agents in the U.S. now can now search phones, and laptops freely under a new circuit court ruling. So essentially, if you go through the border, land or air, uh, and as long as you're within 100 miles of the border, the the border guards, the U.S. Border Service, can, can search your phone. They can make you unlock it, same with your laptop, and they can go through it without a warrant. Yeah, and that's a concern. Um we were talking about this before. It's like, what's the criteria? Like, what do you have to be doing to trigger that request from the border agent? And the thing is, sometimes you'll get through the border. Say you're driving across at Blaine or something like that. But like you said, you could still be within a hundred miles and you can get pulled over at Bellis Fair if they, if they, you know, have concerns. Yes. Right. And that's a concern. Uh, And, you know, in the before times, you and I traveled to the U.S. all the time for work. And having your laptop or your phone or both sort of confiscated as they rifle through it is a little concerning. Well, it takes it a step further. So it applies now for basic and advanced searches. And advanced searches meaning copying data without a warrant. Yeah, and this is something we've seen um, where they literally will take your phone and they'll plug it into this device that will literally copy everything on the contents of that device down. So maybe they don't search through it all right there in front of you. They'll copy it and they'll sift through it later on. And if they find anything, depending on what they're looking for, whether it's, you know, um, illegal material or uh, communications with terrorist groups or, you know, whatever their criteria is to search that device um, that can come back and haunt you later on. And you have, it sounds like you have no say or, you know, ability to get out of this. Well, we'll be following the story and see how that uh, goes through the appeal courts. Uh, another quick one here, John, before we uh, go to break. Google now pays 450 sites to bring free news, including some paywall stories. So this is uh, something called Google News Showcase. It's launching in the UK and Argentina. So in the UK, uh, there's a, a lot of publications like Routers, the Financial Times, the Telegraph, the Independent, uh, that will be uh, putting content into this. And this is something that's becoming a bigger and bigger deal now as uh, content providers 
newspapers, online uh, providers of uh, stories, they're upset that companies like Google basically, you know, use their content without paying them and actually make advertising revenue off it as well. Mm-hmm. It's good for the customers because they get access to content they wouldn't normally be able to for free. Um, but I, I, it's interesting that it's come to this. And also, what size of a publication do you need to be before Google will start paying you? Right? Like, yeah. do you have to apply or do they come to you? Uh, I mean, because our website, we publish lots of information and tech news and stuff like that. Could we qualify for that? Right? Like, um, and this is something that you know we've seen with on the Apple side with the Apple News that used to be, what was the what was the system that texture, texture yeah yeah I mean those were for like traditional magazines and but newspapers. but you were paying there was like ten bucks a month or or something right yeah yeah for basic yeah okay we're gonna have to take a break when we come back we have a lot more to talk about on the show today we'll be talking about uh, tech and fitness equipment that you can actually take with you while uh, you're on the road, if you are allowed to travel. Uh, We will also be talking about super cookies. These are these browser cookies that, you know, I think some of us are familiar with that track our every move. Well, these new ones will be even harder to delete. So it's something important that you need to know about. You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. Still lots to talk about on today's uh, program. But I uh, want to get into fitness now. I think uh, a lot of us have become even more aware of our health and overall exercise or lack of exercise. Uh, and it's funny, John, uh, my daughter is wanting to get a like an exercise room in our house. So we've actually cleaned out a room upstairs and I, I got a TV in there so we can watch exercise videos. And uh, we went on Craigslist and bought a treadmill. And I... <laughs> went to this place and I picked it up. It's the size of a Volkswagen. It's never it's never making it up to that, that room. No, because you got some pretty narrow stairs too. Yeah, so now it's the garage treadmill. But we're going to talk about some, uh, I think, more portable uh, type of fitness devices. And uh, they've got a Canadian twist as well. We've got Aaron Fader on the line. He's the CEO and co-founder of the Tut Fitness Group. And uh, they are launching a couple of really cool fitness uh Machines that uh, can basically fit anywhere, not only my garage, but even upstairs, I think even in condos as well. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Hey, thanks very much for having me. Uh, You must be in a good space right now. I think a lot of people are thinking about uh, fitness and equipment, aren't they? Yeah, the market's exploding. Um, People's gyms are closed down and their condo gyms are closed down and it's sporadic. If they open up, they close again. And the home gym market seems to be exploding and there's a lot of uh, shortages in fitness equipment stores. I wanted to talk to you about your your gear. Uh, what appealed to me is just uh, the the size of uh, these uh, these machines. Like they, they literally look they could fit anywhere. So you've got uh, something called a, a tut trainer and a tut rower. Can you tell our listeners uh, what these uh, these do? Sure. The Tut Trainer Tower is is the vertical gym, and um, it only weighs 11.7 pounds, and it comes in three pieces, so you can take it apart, and you could actually take it with you on vacation or to your hotel or whatever. So 11.7 pounds, and within that 11.7 pounds, you can do 200-plus exercises on it. And then you also have uh, the Tut Rower, which essentially, I guess, is a rolling machine. 
Yeah, the rower is the first rower in the world that actually you can um, you can measure the resistance or measure the weight. So you can actually change the weight on your upper body and change the weight on your lower body. And it only weighs 20 pounds and it can fold up against against the gym. But it's not just a rower. You can do 30, 40 exercises over and above rowing, including plank, side plank, and even skating strides. So how do you get people uh, using these properly? Do, do you have an app or videos that they can follow along? That's a great question. Yes, we're in the midst of working with a company called Trainerize, and they're customizing an app for us. They're a Vancouver company, been doing this for 10 years. They first company to work with uh, Apple Fitness. Um, we're the recipients of a great app that's, that's already established and uh, they're customizing for us and it'll be called the Tut Training App and it'll be available this week, no, this month with about uh, 250 exercises and some on-demand classes will be launched as well. And will there be an, uh, an additional cost to using that? Uh, there's a, it, basically a lot of the exercises are free. So one of the cool things is, and that's where accessible and affordable in that you buy the gym, the app comes for you for free and you get access to these 250 plus exercises basically around the tut rower and the tut gym. I have to say, uh, this this market seems to be really heating up from a competition standpoint. Uh, you have uh, Peloton. I think we've all seen the ads for the the exercise bikes, even the bad commercials <laughs> that went the wrong the controversial way. Controversial ones. Yes, yeah. uh, you've got Apple into this whole fitness game now with Apple Fitness Plus. Like, how do you plan to compete against some of these these big guys? Well. Peloton, they've been, I mean, they're awesome at what they do. I mean, they've developed community. They, they're they they're one of the best, if not the best in the world uh, in doing that. I just think that, you know, we have something different than Peloton. We have high intensity interval training, HIT. We have time under tension, time under tension training, TUT. And we also have resistance training. Whereas the, the Peloton is more, you know, one, basically a cardio machine. And I know they're changing, but that's what's different about it. Um, and so that's where we differentiate ourselves from from Peloton. And I think that we have a great versatility. I mean, we offer more variety of exercises than they do. Absolutely. And at a more accessible price. That was the thing that I was kind of uh, impressed by is, you know, I like riding my bike. I don't want to do it all the time in my house. <laughs> and this just gives you a lot more options. And, and it's actually quite a lot less expensive than a peloton is yeah i mean you know for in canadian dollars you can get the gym and rower for for less than fifteen hundred dollars canadian and you're going to get an app that you can go to and uh you can do 250 plus exercises with all types of exercises whether you're rowing whether you're doing curls whether you're doing vertical jumps with the dynamic resistance we have a very versatile very unique uh, machine. We've got uh, nine international patents pending. Uh, we've got three international patents already cleared. Um, it's a very unique uh, product. I, I, it seems to be, again, a good space. I, I, I read that uh, Peloton, didn't they just raise like over $800 million? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, there's been record amounts of money being raised for, uh, for companies, for sure, in the fitness industry. And it's because COVID expedited everything. And the online market, actually, there's, I think the online market's $30 billion and the fitness equipment is, you know, I think, almost $10 billion now. Very large marketplaces. And so I, I also see that you're uh, taking a, a unique uh, approach to selling these or, or raising money for them uh, as well. You're doing a, a crowdfunding campaign for them. 
Yeah, the, the, it's very unique, unique to Canada. Um, we're on frontfunder.com, which is a which is a crowdfunding campaign for Canadians to invest in um, products like ours. And the minimum amount of people, they don't have to be an accredited investor and they can invest minimum of $250 into the, uh, a company like ours. What's, uh, what's the future for you guys? You've got these two machines now. Do you plan on coming out with more devices? Yeah, the future looks very bright because our technology is so different than what everybody else has. So if you can imagine when you walk into a, a fitness store, you'll see all these types of equipment. Our resistance band technology could be adapted to any one of that those pieces of equipment. In fact, we're in talks right now with companies who want to use our technology within their fitness equipment. Very, uh, very cool. And how long has uh, uh, Tut Fitness been around? Uh 2018, uh, we started. Well, already uh, got uh, a few machines uh, going. And if people wanted to uh, actually get more information about them and purchase them, where could they go? Well, of course, they can go on FrontFunder. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of videos and information on FrontFunder.com, but also our website, tuttrainer.ca. That's the Canadian website. We've been talking with Aaron Fader. He's the CEO and co-founder of Tut Fitness Group. They're uh, releasing a couple of really cool uh, exercise-type machines that can literally fit anywhere, the Tut Trainer, the Tut Rower, and uh, also have an app coming out with uh, numerous exercise videos uh, to help you use them. I want to thank you for joining us, Aaron. Hey, thank you guys very, very much for having me. Thank you. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. John, it's time to talk about cookies and not the good kind. Cookies no. uh, are these little uh, tracking pieces of code that uh, are built into the internet, web browsers. Uh, basically, you visit uh, a website, do a search, uh, and then you'll notice uh, you know, when you go on Facebook, hey, that uh, thing I searched, that new coffee maker, suddenly I'm getting coffee maker ads. How weird is that? Well, that's cookies. And they've been around for many, many years now, John. Uh, but now we're looking at uh, an exploit that uh, is a little alarming. It, it's called a, it's a tracking method called a super cookie. And this was sort of discovered or worked out by a German software designer, uh, Jonas Streel. Streel. Um, and it, it actually uses something that we all sort of need to have. And that's the fave icon. So when you're visiting a, a browser uh, or website in your browser and you have your little tabs open, the little icons that are on those tabs telling you which, you know, it's Google or it's YouTube or whatever, those are fav icons. And what's interesting that that this guy discovered is that if you haven't been to a website, the browser will automatically ask for the fav icon and, and get it. And if you haven't been there, it'll do a, a request to the server saying, hey, give me that icon. And it, it puts it in a special place that is sort of reserved for the browser only. It's not any place that's accessible uh, from the website itself. And so what he's discovered that this particular request, and if there is one or isn't one, actually is something that can be tracked because it can be used to assign a unique identifier to your particular browser instance and that can be then tracked and compared with other places where you haven't been or that you're going to. And what's really interesting, if not disturbing, is the fact that this method can work regardless of what way you're browsing the internet. You're using incognito mode, you're flushing your cache, you're closing the browser and restarting using VPN or even ad blockers. 
like this is sort of up above the law, if you will. So the good the good part of this story is that it hasn't really been found out in the wild yet. No, but now that no. he's told everyone about it, <laughs> it might not take long. No. You know? Um, yeah, so this is basically something he discovered um, after reading a research paper on this topic from uh, University of Illinois at Chicago, and it's just it's it's actually quite elegant in its simplicity, um, but it's actually kind of scary. And at, at this point, there's not anything that we can do about it because this is something that would actually have to change at the browser developer level. Like they would actually change how this process works in the browser. It's just so scary, John. Like you try to do everything right, make sure that you've always updated uh, your operating system, your browsers. You know, a lot of us have internet security software as well, but there's always some other way that they can get in and and mess things up or hack into us. Well, I think the big problem is that it's for a lot of people in that world, it's considered a challenge to find an open door or an unlocked window, if you will. Right. So they're always looking for the next thing. And you just hope that the right people find these open doors or unlocked windows and they use it for good. In like this case, he figured out this exploit and he's actually released all the information to make it much easier for people to fix than hanging on to it and using it for nefarious purposes himself. We're talking about super cookies. Uh, fortunately, they're not out in the wild yet, uh, but uh, this... Uh, the software guy has found a way that it could be just through those little uh, those little icons on the uh, the browser tabs. When we come back from the break, we are going to be talking about payment technology. I think uh, payment technology uh, we've been much more aware of that now, especially contact payment technology. Don't want to touch anything anymore. We'll be talking with the folks over at Mastercard to see what's new. Back after this. You are back with the program, Mike and John here. Let's uh, talk about paying, payment technology. Things have changed dramatically over the past year with COVID and how we are actually shopping nowadays. A lot of it's happening online. And if you are out and about, you'll probably notice that everything has uh, really been pushed towards contactless payment. A lot of places aren't even accepting cash uh, anymore. So to help us understand uh, the overall impact of this and some of the technologies that are being used and we'll even see in the future, we've got a great guest on. Uh, his name is Bob Rini. He's the EVP of Digital Devices and IoT at MasterCard. Thanks for joining us, Bob. Thank you very much. Did I get that right? Is that Rini or Rennie? It's rainy. Rainy. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, no problem. Bob, uh, we've uh, had uh, you folks on before. You've always got uh, great technologies uh, coming out. So you must have seen such a, a huge change uh, overall in the past year with COVID. We did. Um, contactless, in fact, there's a few markets that have been kind of leading in contactless, like Australia and Canada. But the contactless shopping experience has been kind of growing already. And then when COVID hit, it was a massive increase in those transactions. In fact, it increased by about uh, 40, it's now represents about 41% of payments. And just think about it, it wasn't really around much anymore before, but uh, in-person payments is 41% and it grew about 30% just last year. So we see a big increase in that kind of touch-free, safe, uh, contactless uh, environment. And, and we really think consumers will never go back. 30%. That's incredible. Did you guys project that kind of increase, you know, if COVID wasn't around? Do you think COVID really made a, a big impact? No. COVID definitely made an impact. I mean, it was growing a lot, uh, probably in the teens, which is a nice steady growth rate as we change from one technology to another. 
in the past, we've had things like mag stripes where, you know, kind of do the swipey thing. And we've had the chip that you dip in there. And now we've come out with contactless. So there's many ways to to pay. Uh, contactless was growing already because it, it helps with things other than cards like mobile phones and watches and stuff like that. So it was on a nice growth trajectory, but we saw a huge increase uh, due to COVID, we think. And I, me personally, I, I understand it. I, I, I got pretty freaked out. I was using hand sanitizer all the time and, and not touching something felt pretty nice, actually. So I, I look at the technology now and I think a lot of consumers out there just think, yeah, this is so easy. It should have been like this all, all the time. But uh, there's a lot that goes on in the background to make that all work. Like what keeps you up at night uh, thinking about contactless payment and all the security issues around that? Um, well, the, the thing that keeps me up most at night about uh contactless is there's not enough of it. Um, we still have legacy uh, people using that stripe on the back of the card and that technology is quite, quite old. And it's, um, it's, uh, um, it's easy, it is able to be compromised and counterfeited, right? So that introduces fraud into our ecosystem. Magnetic stripe based transactions should not happen anymore. We should all be contactless. Uh, so that that's my biggest problem is even though it's growing really quickly as somebody who's worried about fraud and security, uh, I'd like to see the chip stuff come uh, just be ubiquitous immediately. You know, it's kind of wishful thinking on my part uh, because it, it it includes things like cryptography and other met security methods that are just much more sophisticated. So contactless, the, the biggest thing is, is I, I, I want it to go faster. Um, the the other thing, the other dimension of it, which we might get to is that you have, when you have technology like this, you have to make it keep up with computing power. And so we have to keep updating it. Those are the two real areas of concern. That's really interesting. I didn't even really think about that. So you're you're basically saying magnetic stripe cards are are like past their prime and a security risk. Uh, what kind of security risks do you see with contactless payments? Um, the only the, the 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 only security risk that you have with contactless payments is that um, the there's encryption, and I don't want to get too deep into technology, but I do want to say that we don't want to send your data just kind of as it is in the clear. We have to, when we have a contactless transaction that's going from a card or a phone or a watch onto a network, and we have to make sure that when it goes there, that it's it, the data scrambled uh, so that no one else can read it or use it. We kind of transform the data so it's unusable to anyone. And uh, that technology needs to be kept up because as the bad guys get better and they get better tools and bigger computers, the, we want to make sure that they can unscramble our data, basically. So that's the big push now is to go to uh, an era of encryption that would even survive things like quantum computing. I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but like how much more secure are these new contactless payment technologies opposed to the the olden days of the, the magnetic stripe? Um, compared to magnetic stripe, it would be hard to say, but com- the, the generation of contactless that exists and the generation that's coming out, there's a 3 million, uh, it's 3 million times harder to, to break that cryptography. So the new cryptography that's coming out is a lot more, uh, is a lot more sophisticated. Sorry, 3 million times. 3 million times, right. We're, we're the, the, the keys and the math problems, you know, the, the, the parts of the formula are, are that much bigger and that much harder to figure out. To, to unscramble your data, basically. So it's it, it's got to do with the length of the keys. And again, don't wanna get into a lot of things, but let's put it like this. If I ask you to guess a number between one and 10, you've got a pretty good chance of guessing it. If I ask you to guess a really, really large number, 
it's it's almost impossible. And so the more strength you put on it is the more information that it would take to, the harder it would be to guess or, you know, use it through a brute force attack. So this is a, the next generation of contactless payment. Is this, a, I believe you call it enhanced contactless? Yes, we do. We call it, we call it Ecos for short, but it's really enhanced contactless. It's building on everything that a consumer sees today. They taps, it works. Uh, it can work on their phone. It can work on your watch. It can work on your card. Uh, so we're taking that experience with all the terminals that are out there today and we're making it more secure. And is that out in the wild now or is it coming? It's coming. Um, these things take a while to get out in the wild. As you know, I, we were just talking about MagStripe, which has been out for a really, really long time. And I'm still working you know, day and night to, to make sure that uh, we replace that with better technology. So you have to give a lot of notice. You create a new specification. You go to the phone manufacturers and say, here, here's a much better way to do it. And then you go to the terminal providers at, at the metro merchants and you say, here, there's a better, you know, let's upgrade. So there's a lot of people in our ecosystem that have to take the new, the new stuff. And the first part of it is to announce it, to publish a spec, to explain it, to create, you know, uh, demonstrations of it. So you really start the journey of going to the new, new version. It's, it's funny, Bob, uh, you know, my kids asked me a couple of years ago, you know, they're looking at, you know, the credit cards and they're like, why are all the numbers still raised on, on the card itself? Like, why, why do, why do you need that? Wouldn't it be better to not have that? Cause then it doesn't get all worn down. And I'm like, yeah, in the olden days, when you went to make a purchase, they put it in a machine with some paper and carbon paper on it and then had to swipe that to make an imprint of those numbers on, on, a, yeah. on a piece of paper. So I think yeah. we've come a long way from, from those, uh, those days. The industry term for that is a knuckle buster, by the way. A so knuckle- our zip <laughs> machine. But again, it's, it's a piece of trivia because nobody but, but a few of us would know what we were talking about. Knuckle buster. Well, now our listeners know about that. Uh, how far are we away from us even having cards? Bob, because I, I make so many of my payments now with my watch and my phone, which seemed like crazy back even, you know, five, six years ago. But I I can see me, I don't even take my card out if I don't have to. Right. And I think, um, I, I, I don't know that it needs, cards need to go away uh, uh, because there will still be situations where you may want to have them just as a convenience or a reference for certain things. But obviously um, we today have virtual card numbers which there no card exists. We can have uh, your real card, which is your number, and then create virtual numbers off of it to be used online. So, um, and, and obviously phones are ubiquitous, they're multi-use devices, meaning, you know, I, I don't have to carry it just for payments. Um, and as it gets into more wearables, I think you'll get your card out less and less, um, and that's okay. Uh, but there, you know, the piece of plastic doesn't really cost that much. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt to have them around uh, for a few things every now and then. We've been talking uh, with our friend over at MasterCard. His name is Bob Rainey. He is the EVP of Digital Devices and IoT at MasterCard. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us, Bob. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Come back from the break. More tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. We have a great prize today for the show. It's the ZTE Media Tablet. And if you want a chance to win... As always, just go to the website, getconnectedmedia.com, and visit the newsletter tab. If you subscribe, you are automatically entered into this contest and all the ones we're doing this year. Literally thousands of dollars of prizes we're giving away this month, ZTE Media Tablet. Tomorrow, John, on the App Show, and Saturday here uh, in Toronto, 
on the app show. We've got a great segment. We'll be talking about Clubhouse. And this is an app that listeners need to know about. Probably heard of uh, apps like TikTok, Snapchat. This is the latest and greatest, and everyone is clamoring to get on this. And you can't just download it. You have to get an invite. That's right, yeah, which is a little tricky. And it's also for iOS only right now. So just iPhone users. Just iPhone users, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll be telling you how you can potentially get an invite and why you want to get involved. You've actually tried it. I've got the invite and I've downloaded it. I haven't actually used it yet. I'm getting all these notifications of all these great talks happening, but you've actually yeah, gone in and checked it out. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things is you can actually schedule a, a chat or schedule a room, if you will. And the room is open to anybody that you want or you can have a private room. And the nice thing is, is you can have, you know, five people, you can have 500 people in there. And people like Elon Musk and uh, Mark Zuckerberg have sort of made this popular by talking on these, uh, on a Clubhouse channel about whatever they talk about, right? So Elon's been all about SpaceX and Bitcoin and all that kind of stuff. It just, it's like a, it's a new forum that people have. And what's really interesting is people are also using it as a place to do kind of like what we used to call uh, office hours, where you know, I'm going to pick a topic that I'm, you know, say I'm going to have a 3D printing session and at two o'clock you can come and join my session and we'll just sort of chat about 3D printing and any questions you have. Love it. Tomorrow on the app show or in Toronto, Saturday nights. I want to thank everyone that helps put the show together, including John, my co-host, and he's one of the great producers. And of course, Christina back at the studio. We'll see you again next time.